This week on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. There are many ways to inspire healing of the earth, all relating to the tree truth that everything is interconnected. I'm Neil Harvey. Please join us this week for Treetop Truths in Disruptive Times on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. We Bioneers hover at an epic moment of environmental disruption and environmental healing. We've come to this amazing conference in San Rafael to seek truth, truth that will lead to the visions and actions that we need for that healing. I believe that that truth may be found in trees. Biologist Nalini Nadkarni speaks for the trees. She's part of a new wave of scientists uncovering the previously unexplored wonders in the treetops, the forest canopy between earth and sky. The fieldwork she's done in Costa Rica and Washington State has led to revolutionary insights in our understanding of the dynamics of forest ecosystems and ourselves. Her passion and sense of urgency have moved her to climb far past the world of science to inspire and enlist people from all walks of life, bearing timeless lessons from nature for ecological and social healing. This is Hanging On, Treetop Truths in Disruptive Times, with the queen of the forest canopy, Nalini Nadkarni. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Trees actually represent many truths. As a scientist, trees are known as a perennial woody plant having a main trunk and a distinct crown. To a poet, a tree literally means truth, the old English word troth, which means something that is deeply rooted, something that has a strong trunk, something that sweeps the sky. I'm sure that you have your own truth about what trees mean. Many of you probably have a favorite tree, one that you might have climbed as a little kid or planted when your father died or when your daughter was born. And I'd like to invite you to just take a moment to imagine your tree, that tree, and to consider the values that it represents to you. A sense of place, a place to play, fruit, shade. I had a favorite tree that I climbed as a child. I was one of five children in a mixed family. My dad was from India, a scientist, a Hindu. My mother was from Brooklyn, New York, a language teacher, and an Orthodox Jew. So um, yes, curried bagels were our signature dinner in our family. But it was this sort of loving and somewhat chaotic and confusing family. It was in that that I found the strength of trees, that they held me in their limbs, held me aloft safely. This love of trees in my childhood led to a scientific study of forests, specifically the forest canopy. I sought truths, ecological truths, of the interactions of plants and animals that live in the treetops. Until 30 years ago, the forest canopy was called the last biotic frontier, the plants and animals almost unknown. A classic, out-of-the-box thinker, 35 years ago, Nalini Nadkarni adapted mountain climbing techniques to scale trees to reach the canopy, where she found a whole new world. Today, she's among about 200 scientists who are forest canopy specialists. 
a professor of biology. She's director of the University of Utah's Center for Science and Mathematics Education. While literally hanging out in Costa Rica's rich tropical forest canopy, she was bedeviled by the growl of chainsaws felling the forest. As a scientist and a lover of trees, she knew she had to find breakthrough innovations to protect trees by engaging many, many more people, and not just the usual suspects. She spoke at a Bioneers conference. Artists have been inspired by trees and forests for centuries. They gain value from trees because of the beauty and the form and, and what trees do to light. I have looked outward and onward from science to forge communications between forest conservation and artists. I created what I call Canopy Confluences, where I bring together several forest ecologists with artists, with musicians, with poets and creative writers to join me in the canopy to better understand the collective perceptions and communications that we have. We camp in remote forest locations for a week. I teach participants how to climb trees. I set up little platforms into the canopy, and I allow my guests to make art and music and poetry. Her first canopy confluence innovation was to engage people who rarely experience trees in their daily lives. Inspiration struck her while climbing Washington's 14,500-foot Mount Rainier. She saw so many different kinds of snow that she started naming them just for fun. She later Googled Inuit to find a few people from the Northland who have never seen trees to help her gain new perspectives and fresh insights about trees. So she invited two Alaskan Inuit natives to the temperate rainforest of Washington, a teacher, as well as an artist named Brian Arulilak from a snow and ice-covered village in the far north of Canada. So we flew them down. They had never seen trees before. First thing we asked was, how many words for the word snow you got? And they went on and on and on and on. And then we said, well, what's your word for tree? And they went, well, it's nabaktuk, which means pole. Well, no. What's your word for forest? Well, that's nabaktuk juid, which means many poles. And so Brian at first did nothing but sort of Inuit art, ice fishing, polar bears, that sort of thing. Finally, we said, look, Brian, why don't you just make us a picture of a tree? That's really what we want. So he drew this very pole-like tree, but then in front of it, he drew this stone cairn. And when we asked him what that was for, he said, we don't have trees in our native tundra, but we use these stone cairns to guide our way. They are our pathfinders. And I made the stone cairn to show you that now, after living here for seven days, I understand that trees are your pathfinders. And you should take as good care of your trees and your pathfinders as we do, our elders in our village. And when Brian said that, this was around the campfire, we were all listening, all of us just about fell apart because here was a guy who didn't hardly have a word for the word tree, had never seen a tree, and yet in just a week of living with and sleeping under and talking about and climbing trees, he came to understand the profound nature of the relationship between trees and humans. And I think that's just a miracle. I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. Nalini Nadkarni's fascination with life in the treetops sparked her to co-found the International Canopy Network. It's a nonprofit group that helps stimulate worldwide study and protection of old-growth forests. She soon learned that there's a lot more to protect than just the trees. The canopy revealed itself to be a thriving, rarefied world of its own. 
But if you go 100 yards up into the forest canopy, you know, you climb up there with the mountain climbing techniques or you swing around on a construction crane to get into the canopy, you're in a completely different world because there's no shade up there. This is an exposed habitat. It's like the atmosphere of an open field. And so that microclimate means that there's more sunlight, there's more wind, there are greater extremes of relative humidity. And in addition to that, the architecture of trees, you know, it's not a solid surface. It's not like this floor where you, you know, you can just walk anywhere on that floor. Well, just imagine yourself as a butterfly or a caterpillar or a monkey or a bird. And you have to, if you want to go from one branch to another, you have to cross this open space 100 feet above the forest floor to get to the next safe site. And so those conditions, the different microclimate and the sort of topography of the forest canopy has led to the evolution of a, an amazing group of plants and animals that are adapted to this arboreal life. Every single plant and animal up there has to have evolved some way of hanging on or else they fall to their death <laughs> to the forest floor. So you get prehensile tails in monkeys and in lizards. You get amazing adaptations by plants to send their seeds that have a little bit of sticky stuff from one place to another. So the whole canopy is really just this hotbed of diversity, of interesting interactions, and very, very little of it has been discovered or described or documented by scientists. When Jack Longino, an ant biologist, joined her to look for new ant species in the canopy, she taught him to climb. They fell in love in the treetops. He went on to name an ant species after her and each of their two children. In their exploration, they documented how a guild of plants and animals create a unique habitat called ant gardens. And these ant gardens are when you go up into the canopy and you see this like group of unrelated plants that are all kind of clumped together. And their roots sort of make this mat that around which leaves can sort of stick and decompose. So there's kind of like a little pile of soil. Well, if you look carefully and you watch, you'll see that ants are moving in and out of those ant plants, that clump of ant plants. They're bringing seeds in of the particular plants that make this clump of ant plants. And they're also bringing dead organic matter in that actually feeds these plants. So it's really this little mutualistic island of particular species of plants and particular species of ants. You know, these are just little worlds that live up there in the canopy, kind of waiting for people to understand them. In her passion to educate and inspire people about the canopy's breathtaking biodiversity, Ned Carney wanted to reach urban Americans, often people who've never seen forests or experienced them intimately, especially children. She and a few collaborators received a grant from the Department of Education's Gear Up program which works to introduce at-risk middle school children to colleges. Nancarni created what she called the Sound Science Program and invited 40 young people from Tacoma, Washington, to the Evergreen State College, where she taught at the time. So I hired a professional rap singer named Caution, and I also engaged some other biologists to take 40 at-risk students, middle school students from Tacoma, the inner city, to come to our campus Caution and the students and the biologists explored the forest, explored our water beach. They went into these studios in the afternoon and made their own rap songs. And after a week of this work together, they went home with a CD that had nature expressed using hip-hop music, spoken word poetry, and rap music, using their own culture. 
We got butterflies and bees that breeze right through the evergreens. Water that harvest species we never even seen. We got scorpions that sting, mockingbirds that sing. Trees that help us breathe, insects that feed on bees. We got fungus from microscopic to humongous. We got species from being endangered to abundant. And believe me, it ain't fun when you were hunted the wanted. And I was confronted by the toughest. But this life's a balance. And some deadly challenge. Some things die before they ever become valid. So we need a vision to keep us living inside this ecosystem. A collective whole to try to uphold the creatures in it. No need for gimmicks, cause Mother Nature's very real. Hurricanes, tsunamis, and earthquakes, what a scary feel. The fairy tales, the scientists to work are all respected, cause they went to war and earned a purple heart. There's more to explore than the eyes can see. Hidden worlds under the canopy that hide the key. Thank you. One thing I learned, though, was that rap music, for some reason, seems to appeal mostly to the, the young men. And so I felt that it was important to have some sort of feature for young women. And so we generated Treetop Barbie. <laughs> She's been a huge hit. And the key here, in terms of scientific engagement, is the small booklet that you see about canopy plants and animals of the Pacific Northwest. This goes along with Treetop Barbie to the young girls and aunties who buy them for her. We approached Mattel about this to commercialize it. For some reason, they weren't interested. I couldn't understand that. So we now go ahead and just go to Goodwills and we buy used Barbies. We clothe them in the treetop clothing that volunteer seamstresses make and we send these out. We're working on ground support Ken, but for some reason, he's not quite as popular, so that needs a little work. To see photos of treetop Barbie and ground support Ken, go to www.bioneers.org. Supported in part by a prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship and funding from the National Science Foundation and National Geographic, Nalini Nadkarni was determined to amp up her science education to the public and to people with little connection with trees. She could hardly have imagined that it would lead her to advance science and heal the wounds of incarceration at the same time. More on that when we return. This is Hanging On, Treetop Truths for Disruptive Times. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming, please visit Bioneers.org. Nalini Nadkarni likes to climb to dizzying heights. In the 1990s, she created the Sustainability in Prisons Project, a partnership between Washington State's Department of Corrections and the Evergreen State College. The idea was that those who have committed crimes in society doesn't mean that they can't relate to nature or benefit from the idea of science and the environment. And so I began a series of seminars, scientific seminars, in which we brought scientists and sustainability practitioners behind bars. This led, as we began giving these seminars about everything from gardening to brown bear ecology to moss and ferns, to a number of projects that involved gardening, worm composting, beekeeping, water purification. 
We also carried out, by collaborating with conservation groups, some conservation projects. Five years into this project, we realized that we were not getting to all of the prisoners, that many prisons are held in solitary confinement. And so what we're trying now is to bring nature to those inmates that we can't bring live plants and live frogs to. We're bringing nature imagery to them in the way of still photography to put up in their exercise yards for the hour a day that they get to spend there. And we have just started work for the first six months in a prison in Oregon, the Snake River Correctional Institute. And we have found very positive responses just to the fact that there's nature imagery on the walls instead of blank walls. The violent infractions reduced by half within six months. So I think that's really a very positive thing. I think it shows us the power of nature, actually, in terms of being able to have that sort of a response. The Sustainability in Prisons program was so successful that it expanded to 12 prisons in Washington. The National Science Foundation then funded a conference to take the program national. It's saving a lot of resources and money and lives. But for Nalini Nadkarni, it's about far more than that. It's why her team has named the initiative OTC, Opportunity to Contribute. People's strongest motivation was to contribute to healing the earth. In her ongoing quest to find breakthrough ways to reach people who are unaware or indifferent to nature or trees, Nalini Nadkarni always looks to the trees themselves for guidance. And so what I learned is that moving my gaze solely from science elsewhere, upward and outward, I might find answers to this obstacle of communicating the importance of science and the environment. Like the trunk of a tree, these problems are gigantic. They're deeply rooted, they're enormous, and they're resistant to change. But if I look upward and outward to the twigs, I realize that actually this tree does move. It is a dynamic entity. And so to document and explore this movement, I turn trees into artists. I tied paintbrushes onto the tips of twigs, held up paper, timed this for two minutes, and found that these trees were moving. They could create art. Being a scientist, of course, I had to find out how much they moved. I simply uh, marked out the segments, added them up, multiplied the amount of movement or segment length by the number of twigs per branch, the number of branches per tree, the number of minutes per year, and I was able to come up with a number of how far a single Douglas fir tree had moved in a year. I'm sure you all have a number in your mind. I'll give you the answer, which is 186,540 miles. And although we laugh, we have to realize that by shifting our attention from the immovable obstacle of the trunk to the dynamic movement of the twigs and the leaves, we can actually realize that that tree moves seven times around the world. In trees, everything is connected. The trunk connects to the branches, to twigs, to twiglets. So if I can connect my ecological values of trees that I learned from my scientific research to other values that society has, I might have a chance to raise awareness and a sense of stewardship far beyond science and scientists. Nalini Nadkarni always heads for higher ground. When she learned that over 80% of people globally identify themselves as religious or spiritual, a higher proportion than those who identify with environmental values, she decided that linking religion and spirituality with trees and conservation was another high branch to reach for. I decided to read the scriptures, the holy scriptures of the world's religions, to see how trees are portrayed in them. I began with the Old Testament, 
and found on the very first page that there are two very important trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when I actually went and downloaded the Old Testament from the internet and did a search for the words tree and forest, I found that there were 328 references to those two words. Being a scientist, I categorized those verses, <laughs> and I saw that they relate to really everything, every human endeavor that that culture regards. So I did the same thing with the Talmud, the Quran, the Gita, and Buddhist stories, and I put together a sermon that I then offered to a number of churches and temples. The Unitarians were the first ones who let me into their pulpit. But that was followed by Baptists, by Catholics, by Presbyterians, Buddhists, Jews, and so forth. I've also been reminding the congregants that there are a number of trees almost always that grow upon the grounds of the church itself. So my students and I are now creating small booklets in which we map and document the trees on the church grounds to remind them that it is not only the interior of the tree that is sacred, not only the cross of Christ, not only that six-sided star, but it's the trees, the worms, the beetles, and everything else that lives on that churchyard and around that churchyard that we should hold in sacred regard. So the obstacle between religion and science, I think, can be overcome when we open our mind, when we look upward and outward beyond just science or just religion. Nalini Nadkarni's social entrepreneurship and public education projects became so far-reaching that making the deep time necessary to keep pursuing her own scientific exploration got a lot harder. As global environmental disruption escalates, she knows time is of the essence. Hope to me is when I talk to a prisoner who's excited about raising frogs and I go, oh, that's so fantastic, you know, or one of these inner city kids who changes from I hate science to I think science might be an okay to think about. So there's hope that fuels me, provides me with energy, makes me want to go on to the next project. And then there's despair, just visiting these prisons and seeing the intensive management supermax units and seeing these human beings really in cages and thinking, well, my project isn't going to be able to solve this situation with 2.3 million incarcerated men and women in the United States. I mean, I'm just not doing anything, really. So I have to figure out how not to be blown from one direction to another. I think my family roots me. I have a wonderful husband and these two great kids now off to college and so forth, so they're not at home. But the sense of family and friends and community is very, very much a stabilizing force. And also going into nature. When I do get to go walk or go on my solo hike once a year into the Pacific Northwest for five days or go to my field site in Costa Rica or the Olympics, climbing those trees, it's just like when I was a little kid. This is my place. This is safe. This is away from the chaos. This is where I belong. And those times, those moments, that sensation, the smells and the feel and the sound of the wind and the leaves, that's what sort of makes me be okay about maybe being not so able to achieve balance between despair and hope, but to avoid imbalance. There are many ways to inspire healing of the earth, all relating to the tree truth that everything is interconnected, that trunks join to branches, join to twigs, and join to twiglets. To remove obstacles, we can think about our own values, our own ways of relating to the world, and link those values of ecology and the environment to whatever it is that we encounter. I have used trees, and that has been a rich arena for me to reach out. 
But many other values are out there waiting to be linked, like a young tree with branches and roots reaching out. The truth of trees is all around us. We can remember what they teach us because they are always here, not just here in a forest or here in the parking lot, but we ourselves are trees. You and I have a trunk, we have limbs, we have a crown. And more than that, we have trees within us. The bronchia of our lungs are trees. The neurons in our brains are trees. And most of all, we hold trees in our hearts. When we connect with the trees and other parts of nature, we connect with the deepest and most important parts of ourselves. Each time we see a tree, outside us or within us, we can remember that they reflect the truth, the troth, something deeply rooted, something with a strong trunk, something that sweeps the sky. Thank you. Nalini Nadkarni, transforming the truth of trees into environmental and social healing. Hanging on, treetop truth for disruptive times. You can explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko disc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at soundstrue.com. For more music information, please visit radio.bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0114. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley, pasture-raised organic dairy products bringing the good from our family to yours. Visit organicvalley.coop. Mary's Gone Crackers, healing the planet through conscious eating. Gluten-free and vegan products since 2004. Learn more at marysgonecrackers.com. John Masters Organics. Feel good about looking good. Visit johnmasters.com. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you.